0: Hi there, and welcome to my podcast show. In this episode, I get to speak with Alaskan born Dr. Marky Twist, a licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health counselor. She's also a co-author of the books The Internet Family, Technology and Couple and Family Relationships, The Couple and Family Technology Framework, Intimate Relationships in a Digital Age. We got to discuss the term digisexuality and the impact that digital technologies are having on intimate relationships in today's digital world.
1: So I'm originally from Houston, Alaska, which is a small town. It's a village on the road system in Alaska, 75 miles north of Anchorage. There was only 700 people. And so it was very isolated. And And what that meant was when technology like the internet came around, it connected people in a way that was never really possible in that state before. So technology where I grew up was always seen as, as a means of connection and as a way to actually know that you weren't alone. Because when you're that isolated, you know, it's hard. It's hard to have connection with other people. So I, I think because of that growing up experience, I've had really not a high fear of technology, but also not a vast curiosity. So as I got older, I, I really I know you mentioned you were an early adopter. I I really wasn't. I was just kind of like, well, use technology when I have to professionally. And so when I do this work on digisexuality or when my colleagues and I talk about the couple and family technology framework, which is in the book that you reference, The Internet Family, when I'm doing this, people are always like, what's your relationship with technology like? Like you... You must know everything about technology. And, and I'm like, actually, I have a really professional relationship with technology. And and that's about it. Now, having said that, as a Gen Xer, somebody who really grew up in the last generation, where, you know, it was prior to email until I went to, to college. So I remember what things were like with before this kind of technological revolution we're in. And I also have, I'm young enough to have a good relationship with technology since the start of the technological revolution. So I actually you know, kind of came of age with technology as an adult, a young adult. And so when people are like, when I work with clients, when I work with researchers and students, and they're like, what are the problems with technology and how can we handle them? And it's so different than any other problem, I'm like, well, really it's not. It's old wine and a new bottle. It's a matter of thinking about what would that be like without the technology? Or how is this the same as other problems we have? So on the one hand, technology does very different things to relationships, but on the other hand, it's it's more of the same. And so that's kind of the lens that I come at it with. In terms of my background, I, I think you know, you know this, I'm a, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed mental health counselor. I'm a certified sexuality educator. And then my colleague, uh, Kat Hurtline and I started doing research on technology in family relationships and then in therapy relationships. So just relationships over a decade ago now. So while, while you've, you've been doing a lot on the technology side we've been doing a lot on what is technology's relationship with families and what is family's relationships with technology and I teach so I teach at the University of Wisconsin system and then I also have a consulting practice which mainly at this point is talking with people about technology and sexuality I don't know if that's if there, if you have any questions about that background, but that's my background. So I would say I'm, I'm a relationship expert first. And then I just happen to know some stuff about technology because I've been doing this research, you know, for over a decade. But if you ask me if I can like code or if I know anything about like Cisco or if I know anything about Fortran, nope. I really don't know anything about that, but I do know that people do know about that and it does affect them and their relationships, right? Like anything else. It's like another language. Where does this put us now? Well, about two or three years ago, my colleague Neil MacArthur, who's based out of the University of Manitoba, and he's an ethics philosopher, that's his main background, came to me and said, you know, I I think... There will be a new or there is a new sexual identity emerging around technology. And at first I was like, well, you know, maybe, I guess maybe, but but maybe that's just a kink or a fetish, right? That could just be something in that area. And he was like, no, I really think this is something different than that. Because that's about the kink or the fetish. It isn't about actually having a relationship with technology. And I was like, okay, well, I definitely believe people have relationships with technology. So maybe you're right. So what we did then, we were the guest editors for the Journal of Sexual and Relationship Therapy for a whole issue on sex tech, like sex and technology. And this was in 2017. And that journal is based out of the UK. So it's actually based out of London. And England I would say in some ways is more cautious about social media than the United States. So so it was kind of interesting that they approached us and wanted us to do this issue because Canada and the US I think has a different a little bit different relationship at least in terms of social media than England. But I'm happy that they wanted us to do it. So what we did You asked me about the term digisexual.
0: Can you please explain what this term digisexual is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So about 10 years ago, there was a similar term called technosexual. And you might remember that vaguely. But for some reason, either it was too early in the zeitgeist or just people didn't like that term. That never caught on. Um, and then about the same time, if you know anything about Digimon, fanfic writers, fanfiction writers were writing about Digimon sex and calling it Digimon sexuality or digisexuality about ten years ago. So up until two thousand seventeen, the word digisexual really didn't mean what it means now. And what it means now is a person whose preferred form of sexual experiences and relating is via immersive technologies, which need not involve a human partner. Neil and I used this term in 2017 in our journal article, and then it became very popularized after that. So now very many people are are referring to themselves this way. There are t-shirts that are about digisexual rights that you can buy. One of them says, digisexual rights are human rights. There are coffee mugs. There is a symbol that someone in Russia made. I mean, it is out of control. And really what we were doing when we wrote about this was looking at the literature and looking at the research and we identified two waves of digisexuality. And the first wave is this, we're in it right now and we have been for a while. So most people who have digital capability and connection um, are using technology in their relationships. They're sexting, they're meeting people online. You know, I mean, they're going on Tinder, Grindr, Plenty Fish, whatever your your dating app is. They're watching online adult content. Um, most people, a chunk of people are doing this. They're using sex toys. You know, people are using technology to connect with other humans sexually. Okay, that's the first wave of digisexuality in it. And I don't think that's debatable. And and people who are doing this, most of them won't call themselves a digisexual because they're using the technology to connect with humans. So they're interested in humans. Technology is a tool. The second wave that we're looking at now, and for some people they're already in it, oftentimes it's tied to needs or privilege. And that's the second wave of digisexuality. And what that is, the technology has become and will become so immersive that for some people, their sexuality and their identity will no longer be about connecting with humans. It's about the immersivity and the relationship with the technology itself. So when you think about virtual reality-based sex, when you think about sex with robots or uh, real-life dolls, which are almost to the point where, where they're beyond being a doll and they're a robot, right? When you start thinking about this, you see people like the man who married a hologram. You see people who prefer, who really strongly have an orientation towards the technology itself, and not humans through the technology. And this is people that, that we would refer to as digisexuals and some of which they refer to as digisexuals themselves. Honestly, the biggest reason that we, we started, you know, doing the work in this area is because oftentimes when we see a minoritized population, whether it be sexuality-wise or gender-wise, there's a ton of shame, there's a ton of stigma, In this case, there's what what I've called digisexual phobia, which is the combination of technophobia and erotocentrism, right? So I'm afraid of technology, and I also think my way of having sex is the best way of having sex, and therefore everybody should have sex this way. Digisexual phobia is so prevalent that Neil and I wanted to get ahead of that. And as a therapist and an ethicist, we wanted to get ahead of What we've done to people of, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual identities, trans identities, like kink identities, non-monogamous identities, we wanted to be like, listen, let's not repeat this where we marginalize a group of people who aren't hurting anybody. You know, if someone wants to have sex with a robot, okay. I mean, it's a toy, literally. It's, it's not, like, people freaked out when When vibrators came out, I mean, people thought women were going to stop having sex with men. My knowledge that hasn't happened yet, so it's nothing to freak out over, right? I mean, but it's this weird, like I said, combination of technophobia and erotocentrism. So we were trying to get ahead of that. Now, if you look at any of the comments, I don't know if you've seen those, you know, those those articles on the man who married a, a holograph or... Digisexuals in general. If you go to the comments, it's it's exactly that that horrible, you know, digisexual phobia. It's just awful. People are horrible. They're so mean. Um, and and I really don't think I don't think that's helpful. So that's the history of of the term. Yeah. What I know you had questions too about kind of the long term effects. Then about I mean,
0: okay, so. Right now, we're embedding ourselves like into this, like I suppose, the technology, the the sexuality, the digi-sexuality, as well as embedding it into our I suppose the psychology of everyday life. We're seeing the pornification of society, right. also, especially say with um like in in Ireland and UK, there's Love Island. There's a lot of uh, uh, people are 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 trying. They have a certain look for, for their lips. You know, there's, um, you know, breast augmentation, it's kind of, and then, the, then there was some program on, well, I can't remember what program it was, where everybody was saying, where did the pubic care go? Nobody had any pubic care and they attribute this to the pornification of society. What really is, I mean, apart from these things we're starting to see, what is the long-term impact, you know, effect of these technologies on relationships and how are they going, how do you see that they're going to change market?
1: Yeah. I don't I don't know if I mean none of us are are futurists or psychics, so I don't think any of us in good conscience can say here's exactly what the long term effects will be. Yeah. I do think that one of the most helpful ways to think about it is and this is what I talk about with families and students and then researchers, right? One of the best ways I think to think about technology is to think of it as if it were a member of your family itself, or as if it were relational, if if you prefer the term relational systemic family member. Instead of thinking of technology as if it's an object or as if it's something separate or different, it's helpful to think of it as as literally, this is a family member that will grow and change as I grow and change. So if it's like that, then it means the conversations I have right now, for example, with my 11 year year old about technology need to be happening now. But it doesn't mean we never talk about technology again, right? Because my child will grow and change and their developmental relationship to the world will change. And not only that, but technology will grow and change. And so therefore, we're going to have to keep revisiting it. I think the danger that we run into is people actually, and I think you mentioned this, people actually thinking they know exactly what technology is going to do or is doing or not not acknowledging it at all. So just pretending like as if it doesn't exist is also not helpful. So the best thing we can do, and what's funny is Kat Hurtline and I co-authored a book in 2013 called The Couple and Family Technology Framework, Intimate Relationships in a Digital Age. And this is the first time we posed this idea. And I tell you what, much like the term technosexual, this book never took off. No one read it. It, it was probably too early. Honestly, or who knows, maybe we're just not good writers, you never know. But no one, no one read it. But we were saying in that book, and I, and we're still saying it now in the internet family, listen, everybody calm down. It, we just need to pay attention to technology and give it the love and the care and the walking away from it when it's needed that it, that it deserves. I mean, it isn't good or bad. It's what we do with it. That's, that's the thing about technology. So for example, I know some people are like, Oh my gosh, gaming addiction, online pornography addiction, technology addiction, 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 right? Like there's this big movement around addiction. And on the one hand, I get that, right? Like if you just look at hours a day, and you're only going to look at that, then some people would be like, oh my gosh, like we're never off our technology, we must be addicted to it. Well, I'm sure the first time that people could write, or the first time people talked, or the first time people had fire, or the first time people could actually like grow vegetables, I'm sure everybody was super excited about that too, right? I'm sure it was exciting, I'm sure everybody was doing it with every major ev- of like evolutionary change or revolution, humans are going to become immersed in it until it becomes normal, right? And they're gonna think of it in these ways. And so addiction is certainly one lens. Here's how my colleague Kat and I see it. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but Harry Harlow did research quite some time ago on rhesus monkeys, and, and just to be clear, this research would probably never pass an institutional review board now. But it was the late 1950s, early 1960s, and people were doing some interesting work, right? And what he did was he had the monkeys, the baby monkeys, and he separated from their mothers, which sounds horrible. And he gave them a wire monkey, And he gave them a cloth monkey that, that covered the wires. And the monkeys were able to bond to the cloth mothers, right? The softy, the softness, the, the feeling of, of comfort that came from that versus the wire mothers. And Harry Harlow was doing this because he was studying Bowlby's ideas on attachment. And attachment is the sense of security that we get from others, from the reliability and responsiveness of people that are caring for us in times of need, right? That feeling of safety and security. And what he said was, guess what? Rhesus monkeys can have security even to objects, even to objects, right? That make them feel safe and secure. Certainly nobody that I know of has ever looked at that research in the past 50, 60 years, 70 years now and said, Those monkeys had an addiction. No one has done that, okay? Let's give, let's now look at other mammals, humans, right? Maybe when you were a child, I know when I was a child, I had a lovey or a blanket. I had a security blanket, right? Something that felt really good to have in my hands to help me sleep at night. If my parents were out and I had a child care provider, I had a security blanket. It made me feel safe. No one has ever said that kids who have a security blanket are addicted to the blanket. No one's ever said that. In fact, most people are like, it's helpful to have an object that you feel connected to. Some people feel this way about, uh, religious iconography, right? They might have a cross that makes them feel uh, safe and connected. Some people feel this way about places, right? Like my home in Alaska. I'm, I live on a lake called Loom Lake, and that always makes me feel safe and secure. No one has ever said that I'm addicted to my childhood home. In fact, what we call it is an attachment relationship. I was I was speaking at, at the Society for Sex Therapy and Research star going to get that wrong i'm going to get the title wrong and i apologize for that and it was in toronto this year and it was a room of 200 people and i asked them if they had had any uh security blankets and almost everybody raised their hand and i said who still knows where it is 75 percent of those people still know exactly where that attachment item is And they still feel a sense of love and connection now. I guess we could argue, did that blanket ever love them back? Not in the conventional sense, of course, it's an object. Does it change how they feel? Absolutely not. My colleague Kat Hurtline and I think that where we are going and where we are now is we have attachment relationships with technology. It's the same relationship we've had to other things. It's the same relationship that Harry Harlow's Reese's Monkeys had to those cloth mothers. It's it's no different. It really isn't. There's been research that has looked at the attachment relationship people have through their technology. So like if you're in a long distance relationship and you have, how's your attachment relationship with your partner who lives somewhere else? There hasn't been any research yet that has looked at the idea of attachment to the actual technology itself. What we do have, though, is this idea of addiction, and we have this idea of separation anxiety from technology. We do have that. People that that have a strong sense of anxiety when they're separated. Well, guess what? Children do, too. Many children experience separation anxiety when they're dropped off at kindergarten for the first day of school. Others don't. And so what this would tell us is, is those attachment styles, secure, dismissive, preoccupied, unresolved, disorganized, that we see in childhood to our care providers and objects. And we also see in adulthood to our partners and friends and children. We have the same kind of attachment relationship with our technology. And what matters then is accepting that and saying, you know what? I have a secure relationship with my technology. I can walk away from it and not worry where it is and be okay with that. But I can also use it in times where it's helpful to communicate with others. When I'm standing in a line and I don't want to disrupt the queue because I don't have patience. You know, when... when um, when I'm bored, right? I mean, these are things that, that I can do. What I don't want to have is a dismissive or preoccupied relationship with technology where I either ignore it completely and therefore my child can't ever reach me again, or I'm preoccupied and I do nothing but pay attention to my technology itself. And I, and I think this is not only where almost everybody who has technology is, I think it is where we will be. And I think the sooner we start to think of it that way, instead of thinking it in pathological ways, which is really not helpful in the long run, because pathology just makes people feel bad, and and then they feel shame, and then they can't talk about it or do anything about it anyway. And then there's judgment, which doesn't help either. I, I think the sooner we think of it this way, the better off we'll be. And I gotta tell you, I'm still in love with my Blackberry from like eight years ago. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think, man, I miss actually having the buttons and the keys on the phone. I miss the color of the BlackBerry. I miss the name BlackBerry, right? I've never felt that kind of connection with any of my phones since then. I'm much more dismissive of these phones. But I loved that one, right? And I and I don't think I'm alone in having those kind of feelings for technology.
0: I think you can quite easily, like, I have a great love for Alexa. I, I just... <laughs> <laughs> she's just heard me there but. she is right there right
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I love my Alexa too
0: <laughs> they're great they're, be- they're beautiful they're colours they're, they're something s- uh, uh, sleek about them they're wonderful and they're useful exactly you know? it's, it's, it's amazing, yeah right? and what's there That's... not to like about it I mean just the way it's designed and okay, it's yeah. a woman's voice and all of that but it's packaged really really well I really like the whole design of it
1: I do too mm-hmm. and for some people this Relationship technology goes beyond attachment, and for some people it's about sexuality. And that's where you get into digi-sexuality. But that's not everybody. I mean, it's not like as we move into this second wave of, of sex tech, it isn't that everybody's going to have robots and have sex with them. I mean, it's just, they're just not going to, I mean...
0: Matt said himself, he said, he said to me on, on the call, he said, they will never replace women, real women, never.
1: You also had questions, I think, about the pros and cons of technology, yeah. right? Yeah. So, he's bringing up a great point of what people freak out over. So people freak out about the objectification of women through things like real dolls and robots and VR and online porn and so on and so forth. Listen... I, I have been a feminist since probably before I was born. Um, that's, I'm a fourth wave feminist, so I'm very into marginalized voices, regardless of the gender and genitalia. And here's the thing, more women and more queer people use sex tech than, than men. I mean, that's, that's, that's just straight men are not the biggest consumers of, of, of pornography. Yeah, and they're not the biggest consumer of pornography. So, guess what? I have a feeling there's gonna be many women who are going to be very happy to have a robot, regardless of what the robot looks like. Now, are women objectified? Absolutely, yes, of course they're objectified. But you know what, that happened long before TV, it happened long before the internet, and it certainly happened long before the invention of dolls and robots. You know, you can go back to the literature and the art years ago. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, this isn't different. This is what I try to tell people. This goes back to the, what was it like before the technology? Oh, guess what? We've lived in a patriarchal society since I don't even know how long. That hasn't changed. And actually, maybe, I'm going to go out here, with the advent of technology moving into this, maybe, actually, It will do more to level patriarchy. That, that's my guess, honestly. But is it going to take a while? Of course. Yeah. yeah, Everything's going to take a while.
0: Everything takes time. It's going to take time. Despite the, despite the rapid pace of change. Yeah. You know, how, how do you see the, the technology enriching relationships, Marky?
1: Yeah. I actually think that. Technology in general and then more specifically like sex tech or digi sexual tech. I, I think like anything, it, it's how you use it. So what are some of the amazing things that are happening and will happen? One of them is, man, people, like I said, in long distance relationships. This this has been incredible, right? They can connect with each other uh, using sex tech via distance and practically be having sex with each other. They, they can, older generations who have struggled to have um, their sex recognized, have a sexual identity, connect with other older people, have technology that supports their ability to successfully have sex the way they want to, Technology is doing and will continue to do amazing things. And for those of us who are younger and might be ageist about older people and sex, guess what? You're going to age too. And one day you're going to be really happy that the sex tech exists so that you can continue to enjoy your sex life. People who whose bodies have been disabled by society or who experience disabilities, I mean, the sex tech right now and in the future... What an incredible opportunity for people to be able to be sexual beings and be recognized as such instead of having their sexuality, you know, neutered because we don't see people, um, who experience disabilities as sexual beings. That's just some of the kind of amazing things. In addition to that, I really think there's going to be a huge opportunity for people to explore, like I said, new identities, new ways of being sexual with each other, not just with the tech, but with each other. I mean, let's say that you're in a couple relationship where you might have wanted to have consensual non-monogamy, but you don't want to include another human because guess what? Like maybe that leads to feelings that are complicated and, and some people don't want to experience that. A robot is gonna be great. It's a third person that you don't have to worry about and you can put them in the closet when you're done. Not only that, but robots of the future, think about, it'll have probably change interchangeable genitalia. You can probably make it have any kind of genitalia you want. I'm excited for them to be not humanoid, right? Like the opportunity to have a robot that looks like an alien, the opportunity to have a robot that looks like a toothbrush. I really like teeth. I mean, (laughs) those kind of things, right? Yeah. The amount of creativity that people will have, As a therapist, the ability to to dialogue with people about the role of technology in their lives already is amazing. Some people come in with a very negative perception. I know that. I understand that. But just the fact that people can say, you know, I met my partner, you know, in this online world. We're totally in love. We never would have met in any other way. That story is not unusual now. Yeah, it's very that common. story was so unusual five to 10 years ago, unless you were part of the queer communities, in which case that was a much more common way to meet people. But the, the people who are isolated, that grow up in places like uh, Houston, Alaska, um, people who are minorities living among majority society, who don't have any people like them. There are so many ways that people can connect a broader world. The fact that we're having this conversation, yes, we could have done this maybe over the phone, you know, 10 years ago, but it's different now. I I just think that, you know, rather than technophobia, which I totally understand being afraid of technology, I get it. Like we're all afraid of major change. But rather than doing that, you know, this is a real opportunity for people to, like, set down some fear. I'm not saying get rid of it. I'm not saying don't be cautious. That's, that's dumb, no matter what you're doing. But this is a real opportunity for us to connect as humans in a way that, that dare I say, you know, going back to Hexley, might transcend what it means to be human and maybe in this current time a future where we get past you know our differences and if technology helps i think that's awesome like i i i think sure have caution but first of all it's not going anywhere and uh second of all you know this is a real opportunity for us to grow and and embrace something that actually might be helpful some people also are like well You know, I'm worried about the environment, right? Of course, I'm worried about the environment too. Like I'm worried about climate change. I'm really worried about it. And some people are kind of anti-technology because they're worried that we're not spending enough time in nature. Our kids aren't spending time in nature. They have nature deficit disorder because of technology. And I'm like, well, you know what? You can use technology outside. Like there's actually tons of apps You can have outside and you can do things in nature. And guess what? I really like Google Maps when I'm out in the middle of nowhere trying to figure out where I am. So I like to look at stars. I like to have an app that lets me point to the stars and see what they look like. I like to have an app that lets me see a plant, take a picture of it, look it up, and be able to say, oh, if we were ever trapped in the desert, we could eat this. Like I really think it's the opportunity to bring the encyclopedia to nature with you. And it's less heavy. And it doesn't mean you can't still enjoy nature. Like, I, I mean, I just, I don't think there needs to be dissonance between caring for the earth and being a part of the earth and nature and, and still caring for technology. And not only that, but technology hopefully is going to help us figure out all sorts of problems when it comes to the planet, right? Hopefully it's going to help us figure out how not to be so dependent on oil. I'm pretty sure it already has. Um, Hopefully it's going to help us figure out how to use more solar power, wind power. I mean, this is not the time to panic over that either. Um, And I say this because the other book I just finished doing was eco informed family therapy, which was all about the role of nature and families and, One of the questions people always have is, how can you talk about that and also talk about technology? And I'm like, because they're not mutually exclusive. So you can love the earth and also love your iPhone. It's okay.
0: Very good. Yeah. Thanks for listening and checking out my podcast. You can head over to Spotify and find my podcast there or on Apple iTunes. Subscribe to my podcast on my website. You can head over to www.inaom.io for further details.